right. If you can, turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 9, verses 20 through 28. You can find it on page 786. 786. Esther chapter 9, verses 20 through 28. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and father, far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the purr, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on in, onto his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word purr. Because of everything written in this letter, and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. Thus ends our reading of God's infallible word. May all who hear find reason to celebrate at our Lord's coming. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where something so great has happened that spontaneous celebration broke out? I remember when I was going to school back in Ann Arbor, the, the number one ranked Duke basketball team came to Chrysler Arena. Of course, Michigan was unranked at the time. You see, they had a brand new head coach, and they were still under investigation of a scandal from the previous coaching regime. They were a basketball team on a downward spiral. And everything about this game was pointing to a, a runaway blowout for Duke. And sure enough, by halftime, Duke had an 11-point lead. Yet something happened that second half that no one saw coming. This scrappy yet talented Michigan team pulled things together and outscored Duke by 19 points. They ended up winning the game 81-73. to And after that final buzzer sounded, the, the buildup of the emotions from the crowd burst forth. 
And I, along with thousands of other jubilant students, we rushed the court in an impromptu celebration. It's silly when you think about it. It was just a regular season, non-conference game. Yes, we, we beat the number one team in the nation, but other than prestige and maybe a boost in the rankings, it, it meant nothing. Yet we were partying like we had just won the national championship. But even if it was a, the national championship, it's still just basketball. In the greater scheme of things, it is very superficial. Now, if people can joyously break out into celebration after a basketball game, imagine the emotions that went through the hearts of the Jewish people after they had victoriously defeated their enemies who wanted to take their lives. They would have been ecstatic. And this is exactly what we see after, after their rescue had been completed. Look at Esther 9, verses 17 through 19. This happened on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. The Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the 13th and 14th, and then on the 15th they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. This is why the rural Jews... Those living in the villages observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day for giving presents to each other. This was a time of joy and happiness, for they were alive, and they were free from that threat of death. Their foes had been vanquished, and they were now living under the favor of the king. What, what looked to be the end of the Jewish people just 11 months prior had turned out to be a time of peace and prosperity. For the Lord had come to their rescue. And what better reason to celebrate than that? Which leads us to our text for today. Look at verses 20 through 22. Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as a time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as a month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration. He wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. The author of Esther has now left the story and returned to the time of his people to elucidate on the, the meaning of the events that he had just shared. Most likely, Esther was written only a generation or two after the events had occurred. One of the author's goals was to inform the Jews of his time why they were celebrating this feast every year. 
Now, it could have been that this author had been a young child and he may have been alive during the time of Mordecai and Esther. We can't be sure. But from these verses, we, we do know that one of his sources of information came from the letters that Mordecai had sent out to the Jews throughout Persia, describing what had taken place within the palace of Xerxes. You see, Mordecai had seen the hand of God on this victory, and he desired to memorialize the work of the Lord. Like the other annual feasts, which focus upon all that God has done for his people and does for his people, so too would this new celebration remind the Jews of how Yahweh had rescued his people from their enemies. Yet where those other feasts were imposed upon the people from above, this one began in an unprompted fashion. It was initiated by the people because they were so overjoyed at the salvation that had come to them. And now, Mordecai desired that this saving work of God would be remembered by every generation going forward. So he had written letters to all the Jews throughout Persia. And it was agreed upon to celebrate this feast every year. Look at verses 23 through 26. So the Jews agreed to con continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the purr, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word purr. Here we see Mordecai given an explanation for this holiday. He, he detailed the, the evil that the enemy had plotted and gives credit to King Xerxes for turning this evil back upon the head of Haman and upon the heads of his followers. And then the author shares with his audience the, the reason why this festival is called Purim. Purim is derived from the Persian word pur. Hence, the explanation we see in verse 24. You see, the author did not expect his audience to know what the word pur meant. So he needs that explanation. In fact, no other book in the Bible uses the word pur or the word purim. This this word is, is a hybrid, if you will. It is a combination of that Persian word pur and, a, and of the plural ending that you get in the Hebrew of im. Though we've discussed this before, let me refresh your memory. Pur means lot. It, it was a form of a die that was cast in order to divine the will of the gods. 
Haman, when he decided to write his decree of genocide, he, he desired to know the will of his gods, and so he, he cast the purr in order to figure out on which day he would find favor and victory. The Hebrew word for lot is goral, and it is seen frequently throughout the Old Testament. For instance, Joshua he, he casts the goral or the lot when determining where each tribe would settle in the promised land. So, so each portion of land was divvied out by the roll of the dice or, or the goral. King David also used this term in the psalm we read earlier. Psalm 16 describes how much God had blessed him. Look at verses 5 and 6. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. Here we see another use of this word, goral. In, in the psalm, it, it takes on the meaning of something that was allotted to David. So this word goral, or the word pur, can be used as, as a sort of a double entendre. In other words, it has two related but different meanings in the same breath. It could refer to the, the die that was cast, or it could speak of the, the prize that that die allotted out. Our, our English word lot is very similar. For instance, we use the word lottery. It's a game of chance. But we also talk about someone's lot in life, what they were born into. Likewise, this, this name of Purim, we, we see this double meaning. First, it, is, it references the manner in which God chose to save his people, not through the miraculous, but through the chance events and actions of people, through the tossing of the purr. Purim it indicates the providential nature of our Lord. God is sovereign over all of history, even over the role of a simple dice. And as he tossed the purr, Haman, he had thought to himself that his gods were directing him to the day of the Jews' destruction. But it was really Yahweh, the God of the Jews, that was behind the role of that die. The Lord had his own idea, not of when the Jews would be destroyed, but of when they would triumph over their enemies. Proverbs 16, verse 33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Second, Purim also speaks of the fate of God's chosen people, or rather their lot in life. It was not their destiny to be wiped out, Instead, theirs was to vanquish their enemies and finally live in peace. Like David, 
God had assigned to them their portion and their cup, and he had made their lot secure. This is the reason why we see in verse 22 that they would give to each other presents of food or choice morsels. Look at that last part of verse 22 again. He wrote wrote them, to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. The Hebrew word used here is manout. It is the exact same word used for portion that we read in Psalm twenty or Psalm sixteen. Again, we we see this double entendre: the, these gifts of food that the Jews would send to one another. They were a reminder of the portion that God had given to them. They were memorials and a celebration of the goodness of their Lord. Let's look at the end of our passage, verses 26 through 28. Because everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them The Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. The Jews did not forget. They remembered and observed these days of Purim in every generation. Even today, we we see this reflected in modern Jewish culture. On the day of Purim, the Jews will gather in their synagogues and read aloud the entire book of Esther. And this this isn't some dull reading, it's a boisterous event. For instance, whenever Mordecai's name is read, all the people will cheer and clap their hands. And whenever Haman's name is mentioned, everyone will hiss and boo. And the children, the children, they will dress up in costumes and paint their faces to celebrate. I provided a, a picture as an example. Looks fun, doesn't it? And the the giving of food is still the custom, reminding them of the, the portion that God has allotted them. And the wine flows freely. In fact, the, the Jewish Talmud suggests that on this day a person should drink until one can no longer tell the difference between Mordecai be blessed and Haman be cursed. It's a lot of wine. Purim is a reminder that they, as a people, will never be destroyed. So what does this have to do with Christ's church? What began as a spontaneous celebration has been passed down for generations. For thousands of years. 
It is a celebration of God's rescue. It is a memorial of the Lord's faithfulness to his people. It it commemorates the, the goodness of Yahweh. It is a reminder of the portion that he has allotted to those whom he has chosen. And it is a small taste of the banquet that is yet to come. Psalm 16, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Brothers, sisters, there will come a day when the the trumpets of heaven will resound and the king will return to gather in his people. Christ will come into the the fullness of his kingdom and he will bring with him the the souls of the saints that have passed away. He will restore them to their new bodies and he will defeat their enemies, sin, death, and the devil. And he will give to his bride her portion and her cup. He will make her lot secure. And when he does all of this, when his people see the salvation he brings, spontaneous celebration will break forth. For true joy and true peace will have finally come to the people of God. They will live under the favor of the true king of this world. The sorrow and the pain that sin has brought about will be no more. Like Purim, this celebration will never cease. For the the joy that the Lord brings to those who dwell with him, it has no end. His love and his mercy, they are like a river that is continuously flowing. For those who know Christ as their Lord and Savior, for those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, for those who put no stock in their own good deeds, but look to the cross for forgiveness, they shall join in this celebration. They will get relief from their enemies. They will have their sorrow turned into joy and their mourning into celebration for they will know that God will not allow them to be destroyed. However, if you have not put your trust in Christ, then that irrevocable decree of death remains upon your head. You will have no rest from your enemies. And the lot of Haman will be your portion. Dear friends, 
Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus for salvation. Christ is your Sabbath rest. He, he rescues you from death's grip and, and he seats you at his table where there will be choice food and lavish gifts upon the poor. The, the Purim of our Lord is the new heavens and the new earth. And the portion that he gives you is himself. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews. Nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. Let us pray. Father. We are grateful for the portion you have given to us. You have decided our lot in life. And you have directed our steps. You have brought us to a place where we can know your son. And all that he did for us on the cross. Give us the faith to believe in him. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit. And, and guide us as we walk the path that you have allotted for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.